Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. All right. Got a little football chat in ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the defensive woes of our respective favorite teams. Yeah. Yeah. The it, off season, man. Yeah. Time for guys to get fired. <laughs> it's You know what, though? Like, we're talking about football, I, I always catch myself sometimes when I'm like, as as an invested fan, you know, being critical of whether it's coaching staff or or players on the field, um, just try like every once in a while I have to remind myself like literally everyone on that field is elite, mm-hmm. like at a level that I I never was and never could be. Yeah, and I gotta kind of temper my criticisms a little yeah. bit. But then it's like, but then you turn around and remember, especially in the NFL case, not so much with college, but in the NFL, it's like, but these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to do a job. If you're getting paid money like that, you better be pretty good at it. Yeah, the people coming against them are also getting paid millions of dollars. So it's not like... <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, fair it's enough. It's not like they're getting paid millions of dollars to go after a casual observer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so there is there is still parody. Here's my take on it. I know that no one's tuned in for this and everyone's yeah, like... maybe a couple. How far do I have to skip ahead to get past this? Not too long. The thing that has changed my criticism of coaches and players is being a pastor. Okay, Yeah. There is a level of similarity. The dissimilarity is I am not tested against every other pastor to mm-hmm. be proven elite. Right. These guys are, right? Yet at the same time, there's something about being the person up front and seeing whose name is on it that just causes people who aren't in that position to question. <laughs> Why would you make that call? Right. That's a why, weird. That's a weird play. Why that? Why that? Right? Yeah. In some instances, it's warranted. Yeah. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Why? Why on fourth and eleven <laughs> would you throw a pass underneath to a covered receiver? Oh my! I goodness. don't know. I don't know. It's a sore spot for me. But also, that could have been called in the huddle. Sure. It could have been said. Forget your other checkdowns. This is where you're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That could have. That could have been the case. Uh the view that I saw didn't show the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. That might have been the better option. Right. Of bad options. Right. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, why even call that play? It's a good question to ask after the play's been proven not to work. Right. Had it worked, everyone would have thought it was brilliant. Right. Yeah. And, and so, and so just, just getting that sort of like, those responses and criticisms and mm. and knowing that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and yeah. and sometimes it's just because you thought it would work and it didn't right yeah just being that leadership spot just changes the way you look at other leaders and mm-hmm. i have more grace yeah <laughs> right now yeah for sure for sure anyway we're here we are. to talk about something very different that's right that's right we're here today we're going to begin, I guess you could call like the next few weeks a mini-series within the series. Yeah, and that's going to happen a lot this year. Oh yeah, it's going to be a series of mini-series within the series, if that makes sense. Oh, I love it. Thanks. Um, so we've got a few weeks ahead of us where we're going to be handling the arguments for the existence of God. Right. The philosophical arguments right. for the existence of God. There's going to be times this year where we get into archaeology stuff, where we get into the historicity of the Bible. There's going to be a, a wide variety, but for the next few weeks, and kind of last week was a primer for that, it's going to be a bit of a crash course in some philosophy. Yeah, and and I think I think this is really fitting as a, a follow-up, uh, because last week... I, I think that the two greatest arguments are uh, great as far as size, mm. not actual quality, quality of value, uh, are the um, agnostic argument mm-hmm. and the atheistic argument. Right. And we're handling those right out of the gate. We are. We handled the agnostic argument last week. Mm-hmm. How can you know that you know anything? I don't know that it can be known. Well, mm-hmm. things can be known. Obviously. Right? Yeah. Next, this series is about the atheistic argument. Mm-hmm. There, there is no God. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't think, but the definitive, there is no God. And so if I was to 
label the series within the series, I would just label it something along the lines of the deistic argument. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The point in this, to be perfectly clear, is not to prove the God of the Bible, but to prove the the necessity of a God. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Right? So, Mm -hmm. if we're going to follow our standard thing, the question of the day might be worded as... Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we have stuff instead of not stuff, Tim? It's a brilliant question. It is. And to be honest with you, it's not one that I've heard argued against well. I would agree. And we're going to talk more about that as we talk about people who come against Mm -hmm. this argument. We're going to approach this using an ancient... Actually, next, before we get into that... We have to say why this question matters. I mean, it. We're talking about the foundational principle of like existence. Yeah. Right. We're talking about like like why or how can not even just why because that's more of the purpose. It's more that's a different question that we're going to get into in a, in a couple of weeks. But more of like how can there be stuff instead of not stuff, right? Like, yeah. and, and what does what is the fact that there there is like we, that we live in a universe where there is some semblance of order and pattern and movement Mm -hmm. and cause and effect, like what does that say about its origins? Yeah. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Right. And and that being everything, just whatever, all of it, just consider something (laughs) and ask yourself the question, where'd that come from? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, this is, this is why I think this one is particularly important. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk probably next week, and, and even glance at it again today about the probably. ontological argument. Sure, sure. This and the ontological argument are my my two go tos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and and I I say that inside of the bounds of we need to remember that we are first talking about apologetics for our own mm-hmm. the bolstering of our own faith our own reassurance. Right. And then as a tool, not a weapon <laughs> for, although someone's coming at you and you've got a shovel. I mean, it's right. It can a, be a, weapon. a hammer has many uses. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Thor also had a hammer. He did. He did. Uh, as a tool for answering questions of a world around you who is either seeking or being aggressive and trying to, cause you to doubt Mm -hmm, sure the reason this one to me is so essential is because the number one aspect of it in in the antagonistic portion is science right yet it is using science to make the argument for god it is right so when someone sits down and they want to open up a massive book of science and lay it out across the table and say see what science shows you say, interesting, I brought the same book. Right. Question for you. And I'm going to show you that you're just not reading it right. Why is there science instead of not science? Like that... <laughs> 100%. Right? That's, that's, that's yeah. So so what we're getting at here, the, the, the fancy term, um, the term to kind of note, uh, is the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Which is rooted in Greek. Right. Meaning. Yeah. So the word cosmos... Um, which is typically translated like the world or the universe, it carries in the Greek a sense of order and arrangement. Mm-hmm. So even the ancient Greeks, when they were using words to describe the world or the uni- the known universe in whatever way they understood it, understood that there was some kind of arrangement and order within that, right? Right. I, I want to interject here really quickly. Mm-hmm. You will, from time to time, find scientists, mostly in worlds of physics and biology, that are going to want to say the world appears to be in order, yet when we look at the subatomic level, Mm. we find that there's a lot of randomness and chaos, Sure, and it's not actually ordered, Mm. right? Here's what they're doing. They're trying to talk above your head to make you go, well, I can't prove them wrong. It doesn't work, though. You cannot gain the semblance of order from chaos, Mm -hmm. right? 
you you can't chaotically put things together and then cause people to go, oh, that was measurable. And they're like, yeah, you thought it was measurable. You measured it. You measured it again and got the same answer, but it's actually chaos. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't rationalize. Mm-hmm. But what they want to do is they want to throw those things out there mm-hmm. in such a way as just to cause you to go, I don't know. Yeah. So, so what is the answer when they look at a subatomic level? And, and it's not even universally accepted that at the subatomic level, mm-hmm. there is chaos. But when they want to make the argument that at the subatomic level, it is chaos and there's not order... All they're saying is we haven't yet figured out yeah, we the don't pattern. Underst- we don't understand it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we, we can't yet chart it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to call it chaos. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And there I, has always been order. Yeah. And I would say it, to the degree that there might be some kind of chaos, although chaos might not be the right word, mm-hmm. um, in the universe as Christians, um, kind of like, you know, as an aside to to those of us who trust in the word of God, um, like we understand that there is a degree of corruption in the oh, yeah. universe because brought on by sin. 100%. Right? But that the order with which God created the universe still persists in spite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you might say like, well, you know, cancer seems like chaos. Well, sure. But that is a corruption of the natural order. And right. even then we can still measure into some degree and anticipate how those cancer cells grow and replicate because there is a system, right? That makes sense that we can measure and it's not just nonsense. It's not just chance. Right. We're soapboxing a little bit. A little bit. I'm going to run with it though. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> do it. I, I think, I think it's the conversation between Dawkins and Linux, mm. which is about a two and a half hour conversation took place about 10 years ago. It's worth your time. Mm. Um, where, where Linux is talking about order and Dawkins comes back and said, the world does not appear to have been, the universe does not appear to have been created by an omniscient and omnipotent being because there are so many broken things along the way. And he even goes so far as to say, I can tell you ways that this could have been done better. Mm. To which Linux pushes back a little bit and he's like, well then do it. <laughs> but but the the thing that I'm like screaming at the screen about is you're you're not seeing what was intended. Mm. You're seeing what persists after the fall. Right. Of course it's broken. Mm-hmm. That's anticipated inside of the Christian worldview. Right. Right? Do cancer cells form? Yes. Not as a part of design, mm-hmm. but as a part of design corrupted by sin. Right. Right? It doesn't disprove an omniscient and omnipotent creator. Mm-hmm. It proves the fallen nature of sin as an observable thing right. inside of creation. Right, right. Now we can get back on track. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. And I think this argument, along with probably next week's, um, is going to be related much more to um, general revelation rather than special revelation. Oh, yeah. So so yeah. just as a quick reminder from what we chatted about last week, general revelation is what is revealed about God through the natural order rather than what is kind of divinely spoken through the prophets and apostles mm-hmm. and Christ himself, right, and, and preserved in Scripture. So um, this is... It's focusing on, like you said, using science or using, you know, even just our own senses and, and our own um, our own systems of measurement to kind of um, relate it back to this idea of there being a creator. Yeah. Um, so essentially the argument is this. So we're going to kind of give away the answer, but then we can unpack it in so many different ways. And I think that's maybe kind of the way to, to jump into yep, this. Yep. Because at, at its core, it's a really simple premise. The idea is that the existence of the world or the universe requires a supreme being or force or whatever you want to call it to account for it, mm-hmm. right? Every effect has a cause, right? We see in the world around us, right? If a baseball goes through my window, yep, I'm like... I'm going to know that someone or something sent that ball through my window. You're not going to say how, you're going to say who. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the universe itself is an effect, right? The, the universe is 
is not self-existent. Therefore, there must have been someone or something that caused it to be. Right. Right. The whole, everything, like planets orbiting around stars and comets and meteors flying through the sky, those are effects, Mm -hmm. right, of something. Yep. Right? Now, how we determine what that something is is going to differ on worldview, but what we'll come to find is that the predominant answer from the naturalistic, um, materialistic worldview is insufficient. It doesn't... it's not a good enough answer. Yeah, what we what we know of our experience within this universe is things do not spontaneously come to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll I'll stop there because yeah, we'll talk about the other things we're yeah. gonna say as we go along. So, so the Quick idea, history on it, sh- a little bit, yeah, sure, yeah. So, so the like the Greek philosophers dabbled in this, yep. in this discussion, right? Um, like. It's, 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 I always find it fascinating when you go back to like early Greek philosophy to kind of see how these guys wrestled with some of these big questions. Guys like um, Plato and Aristotle are kind of the, the key ones. Those are kind of the household names of Greek philosophy. These guys um, recognize order and pattern in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, Plato was much more considered or was, was much more concerned with kind of higher purpose and meaning where Aristotle was much more concerned with like what he could see and observe, right? But I think the under the understanding that they had is that the universe must have had a beginning of some kind, right? Right. And and I'm going to throw it back even further than that. Okay. And and I'm going to do this by making a bit of a shout out to someone who would actually if if we were in this discussion be arguing against us. Okay. Brian Cox he does a great job of presenting the secular scientific view humbly by saying things like, we don't know everything. Mm. Science is still learning. If science isn't still learning, then it's not science. And we need to stop pretending like we can answer everything mm-hmm. because we can't. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say things like, we can't answer grand questions, questions of meaning and purpose that need to be answered. Right, so he's he's willing to say those kinds of things. He also talks about um, the fact that the need for religious worship and to find meaning is a cultural universal. It has always existed in every people group ever known within the world. I think I think the cosmological argument is a cultural universal. I don't think it goes back to the Greeks. I think every people group who ever looked up at the sun Mm. and said, where did that thing come from? Mm -hmm. And why does it go away and come back in such regular patterns? Right, sure. Is asking the cosmological argument, Mm -hmm. regardless of what sort of deity they would put it to, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Regardless, they're participating in the cosmological argument at a very important but very core level right he he would go on to say his problem with religion as an answer is not necessarily the argument for a deity but more the way people argue for a deity and i'm going to side with him on this Mm. christians become so nervous and so angry and aggressive that they start denying measurable things, mm. right? And and he in, in the interview that I saw with him, I, I've seen a couple, but the one I saw with him most recently, uh, he was saying things like, "Why deny the distance between New York and Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. We can measure it, right. right?" And so arguments against the size of the universe and all this kind of stuff. You just oh, have okay. religious people who just come at it, and they're just like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." Right, mm. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. I I think measurable, observable science is a gift from God, so that we can be placed in awe and worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think he does a good job of presenting this kind of a thing to say we can't answer everything, and people have always sought this answer in a God. Mm. I think what he's observing there is the cosmological argument is. We're going to talk about it. Put 
formalized by Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. but everyone who has ever lived has at some point participated in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So over time, it's, you know, the cosmological argument is unpacked in a couple different ways. You already mentioned Thomas Aquinas, so we, we can go, we can go there uh, because he, Thomas Aquinas he is dissatisfied with the ontological argument, mm-hmm. which we haven't fully unpacked. Um, I would say not even a little bit. We just introduced it. Yeah, we just said what it was. Um, it's a good word. It's a good, great it's, word. Yeah. So so there was a guy by the name of Anselm who you'll be introduced to a little bit more. We've mentioned him in the history podcast briefly, yeah. but uh, Anselm of Canterbury came up with this ontological argument for God, but, but Aquinas was um, not satisfied with that. Aquinas kind of lent leaned a little bit more empiricist rather than rationalist, meaning he was a little bit more concerned with what he could see and observe sure. rather than what his mind could rationalize. And so he comes up with what he thought were better arguments, and those arguments have come to be um, what we know as the cosmological argument and also the teleological. So there's another big word for you that mm-hmm. we're going to get into in a couple of weeks. So essentially he breaks it down in in a few different ways, he 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 identifies things that he can see and recognize in the world around him that demand answers. So, motion. Yep. Things are moving in the world, right? Things are moving. Things just don't just start moving in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So they require some force to move them. Basic Newtonian physics. Right. But again, the the issue here is there's this whole thing that this is the philosophical uh, concept called the infinite regress. Mm-hmm. So this is something that Thomas Aquinas wants to avoid. It's the idea that there's this like never ending chain where everything, each point you make requires evidence from some other point and you go further and further and further and further and further back and it just goes that way forever. It's mm-hmm. this infinite regression so you're you're constantly okay well what will cause that okay well what cause that and he's like at some point you need something that the unmovable mover right you at some point you need something that is not that is different and outside of the system to right. begin the process right and I, I think i think what you said there is the key mm. outside of the process right yeah right yeah because i think the thing is that like okay so so if we see that like things are well, okay, let's actually, let's, let's sure. continue because the next one is causation. So we kind of already touched on this a bit, the idea of cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have effects without causes, right? So we need, we need some thing that affects other things, but is not affected by them. Right. Okay. All right. Order and organization. Right. Right. Your kids have to cause their room to be mm-hmm. put in order. It doesn't do it itself. Yeah. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing is contingency, okay? So contingency being like there are contingent beings and absolute beings mm-hmm. is the idea. Right. I so, exist because yeah, my y- parents exist. Exactly. You I'm and I, contingent on them. Yeah, you and I could not have existed without certain things happening in a particular way, right? There is a there is a, a number of things, you know, going back a long ways. That resulted in you being here and you being you and me being here and me being me. Yeah. Just a quick, I think this is how the story goes. So my mom was living in Texas. My dad, small town in Arkansas. My dad was going to hang out in the grocery store parking lot because that's what you do in small towns (laughs) with his buddies who didn't show up. My mom was visiting her grandma who told her to run to the grocery store and grab some milk. There's a guy just sitting there. They're roughly the same age. They start talking. Here I am. Wow. Right? That's cool. The number of things that could have gone wrong. Right, sure. What if his buddies had shown up? Right. Yeah. What if someone hadn't had milk the day before? And my grandma didn't need milk. Right? There's so many things that could have gone wrong. Right, right. Right? And my existence is contingent right. upon... All of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and if you, it's a little bit, maybe even scary, mm. mind boggling, just thinking about how that moment had to take place and what was involved in causing that moment to take place. Mm-hmm. But if you start running that backward, 
into like how my grandparents might have met. Sure. On both sides. Yeah. And you start doing like the amount of math that it takes to start to start calculating probabilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go back more than like a generation before the numbers just start becoming like mind-boggling. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and so Aquinas recognizes that and and says like there can't only be contingent things in the universe. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just have stuff that relies on other things falling into place. Right. Right? Because so, then you end up again in the infinite regress. Right, right. So you need at least one necessary being. Mm-hmm. Right? You and I it is possible theoretically that you and I could not have existed. Sure. Right? There needs to be a necessary being, someone who can't not exist. Right. Right? Like that that is that is what what he's getting at. So you need something that can move things that is unmovable. Right. You need something that can cause things that is not that can affect things but is not affected and one who like can't not exist. So that that is the so in, in Aquinas's mm-hmm. mind this is how this this being who he rightly recognizes as God begins to take shape. Right. Right? Yeah, and, in and a philosophical level not even touching scripture at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Purely through general revelation. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and so this is something that like right like we have to we have to understand like everything that is finite or limited Everything that has a starting point requires a cause, but God is God's not that. Mm-hmm. God is not finite. He's infinite. He's not limited. He's all powerful. And he doesn't have a starting point. He has always existed. Mm-hmm. So he is not bound by the rules. Some people who come against the cosmological argument will say, Well, doesn't God need a beginning? Well, it's like yeah. well that you're you're not that's not the perspective like that's not the belief of who God is, right? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been talking for a while. So okay, so <laughs> so let's talk about some of the comats mm. on this argument. Okay, because because a lot of people will dismiss this out of hand, um, even even calling it self defeating. Um, I don't believe that. I, I believe that I believe that this is a really excellent argument. Mm. Obviously, mm. right? This is why I use the argument. For myself and and for others, um, the notion of infinite regress. Yeah. Sometimes people come at that by saying, "Why can't you just keep going back? Mm. What if the universe is infinite?" Right. Right. Um, here's here's my thought on that. We can measure the half lives of matter. Mm-hmm. We can measure the exchange of mass energy, how it decays and transfers, because guy with a really wild hairstyle, great mustache, told us in a, right. in a very famous <laughs> right, right, yeah. a very famous formula <laughs> sure. that uh, mass has energy and energy has mass and one mm-hmm. can become the other and mm-hmm. one yeah. anyway equals MC square. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we can we can, using science, measure these things, mm-hmm. right? So to argue that these things came from nothing and are infinite past is to come against science and, the, and what we know of physics rather mm-hmm. than to utilize it. Right, right. Right? And in, and in a real way. Like, there are some great books out there like, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist mm-hmm, and those sure. kinds of things. And, and some t- in some ways, that has become very kitsch and cliche to say those kinds of things. But really, from a scientific perspective, to argue for the plausibility of infinite regress, you can always just be like, well, that domino moved because it was hit by the domino in front of it. Mm-hmm. And to run that back into eternity and to call that a reasonable argument... Mm-hmm is far more unscientific. The probability, I would, I would say, if you're going to quantitize this, mm-hmm. or quantify this, quantitize. that's a musical term. <laughs> if you're going to quantify this, the, the probabilities would be astronomically greater mm-hmm. for infinite regress than it would be mm-hmm. for a creator right. to step in. 
right? Mm-hmm. So the argument of, of why not, I, I think, is disproven in the study of how matter and energy relate to one another. Um, I think Einstein is pivotal in this conversation. Um, and I think probabilities are ridiculously mm-hmm. out of whack mm-hmm. to, to argue for infinite regress. Yeah. The very, the very core of science and scientific method comes back to an experiment done where a man took some meat, threw it in a jar, maggots. Right. Put a screen over it, no maggots. What's the difference? Mm. Make a hypothesis, test your hypothesis, do your observations, mm-hmm. test your observations, come to a conclusion. Sure. That's the scientific method. Mm-hmm more or less. That we should be able to use simple methods. The, the very first thing is a argument against spontaneous generation. Mm-hmm. The simpler the argument, in some instances, the more valid the argument. Mm. When you're trying to, when you know you've got someone pinned, they've done a thing, mm-hmm. and they're trying to say they didn't do the thing, lies are very complicated. Right. And people go on and on and on, and these things get really deep and really hairy. Sometimes the truth is the simplest answer. Right. So do I think that there's more value in ancient tribesmen looking to the world around them and going, I wonder who made this, mm. versus 21st century physicists who say, I can't fully explain quantum mathematics Mm -hmm. yet i'm going to utilize quantum mathematics to try to explain to you where these things could have spontaneously generated which flies in the face of the very core of the birth of science Mm -hmm. one one just one of these things isn't like the other Mm -hmm. and i think that you need to go to those lengths starts hurting your argument instead right right yeah there so what what you see in in science and, and in mathematics, it's it's essentially the examination of patterns, it's mm-hmm. series of things that happen. Right. And a pattern or series can't be legitimate if it doesn't have a starting point. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't actually be able to determine what that pattern or series is. Yeah, right? now you're arguing for the uncausable causer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so the, you know, so like there's the, this, this whole idea of like, what, what, what we need to understand what is, what is going on often in, in, with some of the, you know, contemporary scientific research about the origins of the universe is they're starting with the premises. There can be no God. Mm-hmm. Therefore, how do we, how do we make this work? Right. Right. And and that's that we talked about that really early on. There is no no way to come against willful disbelief. Right. If someone just chooses not to believe, there is no evidence you can show them. Mm-hmm. Willful disbelief is always gonna say, Well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know? Right? They're choosing not to believe. Much of this science against even the plausibility of of a god is willful dis is based in willful disbelief. Mm-hmm. The second come against you mentioned it. Then that God needs a source, right? To be honest with you, a lot of these arguments are disappointing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I I think it's cool to go and and listen to these secular philosophers and like take on the challenge of answering their questions. Coming, a lot of these are pretty basic schoolyard questions. Right, right. Why can't you always just keep going back? I mean, come on, you know better than that. Mm-hmm. Why does God need a source? Mm. Okay, well, that's like saying, that's like looking at the painting and the those things painted in the painting being like, well, is the is the artist acrylic or oil? <laughs> He's neither. Right. You are because you're a painting. <laughs> but he is not. Right. Because right. he's not a painting. Right, right. He's a transcendent being. Right. 
right? The argument requires that God is a natural being. Right. That he is himself a part of his own creation. And subject to subject to the laws that he has established for that creation. Right. Yeah. God is the founder of quantum mechanic Mm -hmm. and all of the laws that govern this Mm -hmm. universe. Mm Mm-hmm. He is not subject to those laws. Yeah. If he were subject to those laws, those laws would be God. <laughs> because they would have formed and created. He would be contingent upon right. those laws. Upon things like time and space and all these things, yeah. Right. But he doesn't because he created time and space, right. so he's not, he's not bound by them. The painter is not bound to the canvas, mm-hmm. right? He yeah. is other. And, and this is where, like, I remember being a kid and just staring up at the space and trying to contemplate forever like forever past in particular, mm-hmm. here's where we can calm some of that head scratch. Like even, even when we as Christians talk about, you know, eternity past or our time with God for eternity, right? Mm-hmm. We sing when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining mm-hmm. as the sun. We know less, no less days to sing his praise than we first began. I think you just get rid of the concept of days and years altogether, mm-hmm. right? We think in a linear chronological mindset mm-hmm. because we're bound to the canvas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is other, mm-hmm. right? For sure. And and that God is eternal doesn't mean you have to keep going backwards in time. It means you have to step out of time. Yep. And that we will live with him for eternity doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the arrow by which we measure time, right? A, a mm. starting point and then an infinite run-on, it's not the same. We will, with him, step outside of time. Okay, interesting. Right? So there is there is other, mm-hmm. because to argue otherwise is to argue that, no, he's not bound by the causality, but he is bound by space-time. Right. Or, yeah. or at least he's not bound by space, but he is bound by time. Mm. Right, he is yeah. outside. He is outside of a space-time continuum, mm-hmm. which means he's not. He doesn't have to answer to mm-hmm. eternity past or eternity future. He is just outside of time. Now, can I explain to you what that looks like? No, because I'm a painting. Right, and the only reference I have is linear time, mm-hmm. and so that's where doctrine of election, these kinds of things, can really become frustrating. Because we we need to read them mm-hmm. according to our understanding and the way we experience the universe, which is right. within the frameworks of space-time. Mm-hmm. God exists outside of space-time. Mm-hmm. We will with him. So there's no limitation. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be bound by his own mm-hmm. laws of creation. Again, the, mm-hmm. the painting thing... Is is that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just feel like the argument to say, "Well, he needs a starting point," mm. is a silly argument based on my painting analogy. I like it. Uh, yeah, you, you raised your eyebrows at me like you had a thought about the us stepping out of. Yeah, I don't. Time I, I'm not. I'm God. not there with you yet. No, um, no. I think Christ steps into the time space continuum and our existence. Our existence is on earth, and so we don't get removed from the time and space continuum. I think we we exist perpetually in time and space. It's it's Eden renewed, but better. So I don't think it's so I, I but I, but I think I think that you said he steps into mm-hmm. space time mm-hmm. assumes that he is outside of space time. God is yes. Yep. I just don't think we're going to. I I don't. I I I'm not. Maybe and maybe I just need to think about it more. But I'm not necessarily with you that our our eternal existence is an experience that is identical to that of God outside of space and time. I think it's inside space and time still because we're finite creatures. I would argue there's no way to prove for or against. Sure. I'm happy to be agnostic on the issue. Yeah, yeah. Right. I could be wrong. Um I I would just say I would just say that sure, I could be wrong on that. Yeah, but that doesn't. But what? That, yeah, that's not. That was change. the core of your argument. That no. was just a side comment you made. It doesn't, and I was it doesn't like, huh. change. It doesn't change anything. No, 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 no. Except that it allows us to better understand conceptually mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, I just find it. I just find it fascinating that like that Christ, who is God and who has always existed outside of this, 
would would not just we always talk about him taking on human flesh but he also subjects himself to time and space mm-hmm. in a way that was unique and special yeah um it's so it's it's the hum- it's, gonna, a, it's another I'm, aspect of his humbling himself i'm going to overuse the the analogy just because we're on it sure it's the painter putting away his three-dimensional nature mm-hmm. and and stepping into a two-dimensional canvas yeah right yeah. he's limited there mm-hmm. um yeah the the next come at uh, that this often gets is uh, it doesn't drive us to the God that Aquinas worshipped, and right. so it's inadequate. It doesn't. It doesn't even answer its own question. Well, it doesn't it? Doesn't demand a personal a being that is as personal as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Yeah. Like it. And I mean, you and I kind of talked about how like I felt like that was a compelling criticism that this i would like for me i'd say yeah, i don't know if the the cosmological argument on its own mm-hmm. and like on its own um gets us there mm-hmm. gets us to a god who loves us um because i don't think general revelation can get us there um in general and this is this is you know a system that is not really using scripture um so but i don't think these are the types of things that are like need to stand alone. Mm-hmm. This is one, this is, you know, one piece of a puzzle that collectively will demonstrate that God is who he says he is. Yeah. So let me, let me shoot from the hip okay. and explain to you why I think this is not a, a strike against the cosmological argument. Okay. Making it up as I go, if this, if this train crashes along the way, so be it. <laughs> Let's say that you are the manufacturer and distributor of hammers. Okay. You got a new hammer, you throw it up on on Amazon, people start buying it, you're like, hey, this is great. You advertise the hammer, it's like, you need to build some furniture, you should use my hammer. Mm -hmm. It hammers well. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you come back and you see a one-star review. And sales start to drop. Because someone's like, you told me that I could use this hammer to build furniture. I tried to build a bookshelf. I got the structure put together. Sure, it worked for that. Mm -hmm. But it was the worst thing I've ever seen for painting this thing. (laughs) And they show a picture of it, and the paint job is all kinds of botched. Right, right. Right? Right? you're going to be entirely frustrated Mm -hmm. because you're going to say it did the job that I told you it would do. Mm -hmm. You're asking it to do something it wasn't designed to do. Right. I never told you that it would paint the bookshelf for you. Mm -hmm. This is not a paintbrush. It's Mm -hmm. a hammer. And you're criticizing this hammer's hammerness (laughs) based on the fact that it's not a paintbrush. Right, yeah. That is the criticism that the cosmological argument is insufficient to point us to a Trinitarian God of the Bible. Right. Because even in its name, Mm. cosmos, it is general revelation. Yeah. It is not insufficient as an argument because it was only ever meant to use general revelation. Right. This is the argument from general revelation. We've Mm -hmm. already stated that general revelation is enough to tell us that God is. It is Mm -hmm. not enough to tell us who God is. Right. Therefore, this hammer is only enough to construct the shelf. It is not enough to decorate the shelf. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I like I I don't think we're actually I don't think we actually disagree at all here. Because what I was what I was simply saying, when I say that it's insufficient, what I mean is that if this if you're if you for whatever reason you know you're having a conversation with someone who, you know, wants you to reasonably defend your faith and the cosmological argument is the only thing you've got in your back pocket, you're not going to be able to get to a place where you present the God of the Bible with only that that's what I'm saying when it's insufficient. I'm not saying right. it's a bad argument. I'm saying but I it's not the it's it it does one job. It, right. But no argument does all jobs. Exactly. No, I would agree. Because even in that, mm-hmm. you said the God of the Bible. Sure. So you're insisting on the application of special revelation. Oh, yeah, so so sure. I'm, I'm saying we're 100% in lockstep on mm-hmm. what this is. My point is to say 
that's not a criticism or a limitation of the cosmological argument. Mm -hmm. It does everything it was designed to do. Right. And it does it really well. Mm. So, so for me to say, is it insufficient to point a person to their need mm -hmm. to receive Christ's substitutionary atonement? <laughs> of course not. Yeah, right. Of course not. But that's not what it was supposed to yeah. do. No, I get it, that. It is a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. And it's a great conversation starter. Yeah. And so these arguments against... These arguments against the position, I think, are in some instances juvenile mm. arguments. They're not well thought out. Um, and and I, I think being honest about themselves, they would they would have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. if, if you're going to say, well, what if we are going to believe in infinite regress? Mm -hmm. That's a huge what if. Yeah. Right? And... And if you're just going to say, if, if your only comeback is what if, that's not high-level science. Mm -hmm. That's that's kindergarten playground stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, to argue that it doesn't do everything, it's not supposed to do everything. Right. It's supposed to do a thing, and mm -hmm. you need to measure it based on what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Give your... I hate, I hate when you're looking at Amazon reviews and... The one star is about shipping. <laughs> you ever see that? Yeah, oh yeah. You're yeah. looking at product and you're like, everyone loves this thing. Why does it have four one star reviews? And you look and they're like, UPS damaged this thing. You're like, what? That's not, That's not a review of the the product. Product. Come on. Right? That's what they're doing. Right. Right? Right. To say, well, it doesn't do everything. Well, it wasn't supposed to do everything. Mm -hmm. You need to review it for what it is. Right. And and not for what it's not. Right. Right. And so this is this is where I think the the comats against the cosmological argument mm -hmm. just are disappointing uh, and insufficient to say that this isn't a good argument. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Yeah, wh one of the things I wanted to because we've been talking about how this relates to general revelation, but before we we wrap up, I don't know how much you have left to chat about, but th this idea when I was you know reflecting on this whole thing of like, okay, we need something in order for things to exist, we need something to give existence mm -hmm. that doesn't need to get it from anywhere else, right? The, we need a thing, we need something, a being who would have existence as part of its very nature, right? It, it is existence. And how does the God of the Old Testament reveal himself? In Exodus 3, seen with the burning bush, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Hundreds, even thousands of years before these philosophical arguments about the origin of the, of the universe were kind of defining this whole idea right. of the unmoved mover, the uncaused causer, Long before Plato or Augustine or Aquinas or any of those guys, God reveals himself to Moses this way. Mm -hmm. In a way that I'm sure I'm sure to some degree Moses and the people of Israel like understood the weight of of that revelation. Yeah. I'm sure they did. But like as philosophy has progressed over the centuries and millennia, it it's just so wonderful that like so long ago, God reveals himself in that way, answering that question in the way he chooses to reveal his own divine name. This is the covenant name, right? When right. We, right. Like this is the capital L O R D I am. Th this is the Yahweh. Yeah. This is, this is huge. Right. And this is the answer for the cosmological, sorry, the cosmological argument. He right. Can be all of that because he's not contingent upon anything. And this, I I'm going to go back to Cox for a couple of things here. Right, uh, he was the one that I said at the beginning would argue against, but does it in a more gracious and honest way than anyone I've ever seen who mm. does this professionally. Mm -hmm. Right, what we're talking about here is the harmonization of general revelation and special revelation, mm -hmm. and and this is what Cox is talking about when he says, "I don't understand why religious people feel like they have to come at measurable things." Mm -hmm. There is inevitably a presuppositionalist mm -hmm. who would listen to this and say, how dare you make an argument from God without using the Bible? Mm. Right. 
God gave us the Bible, used the Bible, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're practicing secular practices and not Christian practices. Mm. I'm I'm hard against that. Mm-hmm. Romans 1 tells us that nature reveals the existence of God. Right. So that is using scripture. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the precept person would have to allow for that that, the bi- that the, method. The Bible tells us even <laughs> even the rocks cry out right, right. the glory of God. Right. 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 Creation mm-hmm. reveals his glory. Mm-hmm. These are all known things. Right? So there's no reason. Cox is right on this one. There's no reason for us to throw away cosmology mm-hmm. and say, all of that is something that's just going to lead you from the Bible. Mm. No. Cosmology, the cosmological argument, argues for a God who is the causer of space-time continuum, quantum world, whatever it is, sure. however it is science wants to measure and define the universe. Right? Outside of it, creator of it. That's the cosmological argument. The scriptural argument, he is the self-existent outside of mm-hmm. Genesis 1-1, creator of all things. Yep. Right? When science and scripture harmonize, mm-hmm. latch on to that science. Yeah. Because it's true science. Mm-hmm. It's us looking not only that God did, but how God did. Right. Which is a point to be worshipped. Second thing I'm going to bring Cox in on this. We we he talks about the Big Bang, yep. as a point. Um, he does acknowledge this matter <laughs> would have to have it would have to be. He doesn't use the word infinite regress, mm-hmm. but he says it would have to be historically infinite in order for us to see this. So the Big Bang isn't the beginning. It would be the beginning of our universe. Right. And he said, one of the things that we're able to measure when he talks about religious people, he's mostly talking about Christians, is when these people come at us against measurable things, one of the biggest measurable things they come against is the universe was historically more ordered than it is now. Mm. And we don't know why that is. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I think there's a doctrine of sin that's <laughs> yeah. at play here. Yeah, sure. Right? Uh, it, it's another opportunity for that that harmonization, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and that we can acknowledge order, that order was greater than it is now. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things, to me, just show that genuine, honest, observational science. Mm-hmm is a healthy practice for the Christian. Yeah, I would agree. And the cosmological argument is not anti-biblical. It is extra-biblical. Mm-hmm. It exists outside of the Bible, mm-hmm. but it's not. it doesn't in any way go against the Bible. That's the difference between extra-biblical and anti-biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it harmonizes beautifully with Scripture. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, there we go ontology next week sounds good all right well thanks for listening this podcast is a resource of memorial baptist church in stratford ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of canada and is produced by alex walker thanks for listening see you next time